Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamek. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. We have been off for a week. Uh, for those of you who haven't yet been informed, I try to do my best as I could over the internet, over emails, over our mailing lists, etc., that we had a family emergency, a medical emergency that caused me to have to move out here, move out here to Washington, D.C., to take care of my daughter who had in the last 20 months now two strokes. She had a stroke on Saturday and therefore there are several things that had to be left behind. One, we missed five issues of this show. And by the way, people, please remember, please remember. Uh, thank you very much, AVQ. Ashley so far is recovering. It's going to be a slow and long recovery and I will be right here by her side with the PTOT mental We'll be here together making sure my daughter gets together and continues with, with her life. That is what that is my intent, and that is what's going to be done. I'm going to tell you the story, and forgive me for uh, telling the story for those of you who just want to hear politics today, but this is personal, and I, I want to tell the story in a manner that, affect, that, that shows this is something that affects us all. First of all, forgive the quality of the, um, forgive if we get dropouts. Forgive if you get sound issues, etc. I'm working on very li limited equipment right now. I have a GoFundMe out to uh, because I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. for an extended period of time. We will be doing the show right here from my daughter's very, very tiny apartment. So I'm developing a tiny studio where we can do everything or most of the things that we did in the big studio. We even have portable green screens, all that good stuff that we're doing out here. So um, uh, the GoFundMe is live, and uh, I will go ahead and put that out uh, in, a, in, a, in a little bit with the information when we start to play a particular video. But let, let, me, let me humor you with this. I shouldn't say humor because there's nothing humorous about this, but the story. Uh, I'm, uh, our family is pretty close with my daughter. My daughter, um, uh, you know, we're, we're having good conversations on Saturday, and everybody knows that my daughter, she's, a, she's been on the show several times talking about her stroke talking about what she went through, talking about her recovery, talking about having gotten a whole lot of steroids, having gained a whole lot of weight, having worked on mitigating that and doing uh, and starting to exercise. And she started a wonderful regimen with the way she cooked, the way she worked out, all of this, she was doing the right things. Uh, but again, what my daughter had, the first stroke was caused by something called a uh, AVM, uh, arterial venous uh, malformation. And what occurred is that it was in an inoperable region in a very important part of the brain that controls the eyes, all, all, the, the direct traffic to the eyes, etc. She lost half her vision. And after she lost half her vision, she also had a little drop foot. But other than that, she was doing very fine. She then was, it was suggested since it was in an inoperable area that she take, that she had a, a that she had radio surgery. That's a, they call it the cyber knife. And they meticulously looked at veins that they could kill so that eventually that malformation would collapse on itself. And they think that should have been occurring within two to three years. Well, it's been 20 months. And it seemed like for her, it occurred at 20 months, the AVM collapsed. And what the doctor believes is that at the collapse, we had a pressure build that caused another bleed that he hopes is the last bleed, but it was a stroke. 
My daughter and I were on the phone and she said that afternoon she was throwing up all day and she was starting to get agitated, etc. And it was hard to talk to her several times. But I begged her, I implored her to call 911. She wouldn't. I bought a ticket to uh, D.C. because no matter what, I was coming here to take care of business, make sure that she was taken care of. After, uh, after constantly texting her and not receiving responses, I told her I'm on my way. I immediately got a call. I said, am I supposed to come? And my daughter said, I don't know. And if my daughter tells me she doesn't know if I need to come or not, it means I need to haul ass to D.C. But anyhow, I kept on asking her to call 911. She wouldn't, so I called emergency room at her hospital. They told me I couldn't do that. I had to call 911 in Houston. And to show you how everything is intertwined, politics and personal life is intertwined, I called 911 in Houston and was placed on hold. I was placed on hold on 911 because... So I called my daughter back. We need to call 911. And I begged her and she finally said, okay, and called 911. The reason why she didn't call 911 is she is very meticulous about abusing resources. As a med Fort med student, she understands the issues of abusing resources. So she was not going to abuse resources. And she didn't want it to be in an upset stomach, even though her head was banging and she was starting to show the symptoms. She didn't want to do that. So followingly, she called 911. They came, the fire men came, and we had her on video. We couldn't see the video, but we could hear everything as they checked her out. They brought the EMS trucks in. They took her down to the hospital, and we monitored as she got to the hospital. Uh, for all, the entire period that night, we stayed up, went to the airport first thing in the morning, got to D.C. in the, in the, in the morning, and right off the plane, my wife calls and she said, it's a new bleed, meaning her stroke bled again. And it was very deflating, of course. And uh, she was in dire straits. Uh, she was in pain. When I got there, she recognized me, but she could hardly talk given the amount of pain that she was in. And her brain followingly started to swell and swell and swell and she lost kind of her bearings and right even right now with the amount of steroids that they have to give her and to get rid of the fluids on her brain and to try to prevent the brain from swelling without having to crack her skull open they are giving her a lot of steroids which have her sometimes a bit incoherent but talking and very the nurses love her out there because she's a talk of the town when she when you know, when you know, you know, Ashley is a fun person to be around. But I say all of this for some some other reasons. Uh, this this hospital, uh, Washington MedStar Washington, the people in that that neurology unit, they are wonderful people, and they are taking very good care of Ashley. Very good care. And by the way, folks, Facebook is down, so we don't we only have a very small YouTube audience, Twitter audience, etc. So, these people at MedStar, Washington MedStar, they are wonderful. But when you took a, take a look at the totality of our healthcare system and realize what I am going to be going through with her as she recovers, 
it is amazing that there isn't a revolt in this country. And the only reason why is at any given time, probably only one or two percent of the population is sick. And if only one or two percent of the population is sick, somehow by the time one group gets better, they forget about their past illnesses and they forget what could be. That is why we are so important in what we do in order to try to attempt to get a system that is fair for everybody. One that you don't, when Ashley is done with her ICU and they move her to the regular floor and then she goes to rehab, all of these are different step processes that you have to go through a ton of paperwork to get through. While if we had an integrated, a real system like Great Britain, Canada or other places, it would be a seamless interaction between a person has a stroke these are the procedures that they go through from the acute state to the recovery state to the rehabilitation state. But none of that. None of that. As Americans, we should be appalled at what we call a healthcare system. We should be appalled. Let me read some of uh, the, your, your kind notes here. Uh, let's see, uh, Deb Denny, hello, welcome aboard. AVQ says, I'm watching from away FB down. Yes, FB's down. AVQ, Egberto, how are you and Ashley? Ashley is recovering best she can today. She stood up for a few seconds. I just ran back from uh, the ICU here to do the show, which is going to be the procedure. The procedure is going to be go there, spend a tiny bit of time, come back, do the show, and then finish up just before uh, there, we, we're still working it based on, on it. Right now, Linda is with her. Uh, when Linda goes back to Houston, I'll be here alone. So I will likely have to modify the time schedule of the show. We don't know yet. I'll let you know in due time. Deb Denny says, Egberto Willis, please update us on your daughter. Did you get the DM I sent you through Facebook about judges' conflict of interest ruling on things that benefit them? I think it was an Esquire. Deb, I'll have to look for it. Forgive me for... Uh, for being a bit transient right now. Rose Williams says, hi, everyone. Bridge MCP says, hey, Rose. And we have Rose says, thank goodness you did. Yes, Rose, call, that was a, an important call. Bridge, oh, poor thing to my dear, beautiful Ashley. Bridge, talkative, where does she get that from? Bridge MCP, are you calling me talkative? I thought you were my friend, Bridge. I'm kidding you. You know you're my girl, Bridge. Rose Williams says, sending her lots of love and hope. Absolutely so. Well, I'm going to start the show today with an interview that I did. You know, right now we're having the police and Black Lives Matter, all that kind of stuff. Thank God she's recovering. Sarah BT, welcome aboard. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the program, uh, play an interview that I did right here in, that, in, in D.C. Uh, with uh, Reverend Hutchins. And what he's going to talk about is... Um, how do we make better interaction with cops? How do we make it better? Let's just go ahead and get started with Reverend Merkel. I think he told me to, Egberto, you spelled, you, you said my name wrong. It's Merkel. So I better go ahead and get it right. So here is Reverend Merkel. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have Reverend Markel Hutchins, who is the CEO of Movement Forward. He says the following, and I want you to listen distinctly. We've done the marching. 
We've done the protesting and now it's time to do the heavy lifting of decreasing bias, increasing respect and trust, protecting the lives of young men and women, but protecting the lives of our law enforcement professionals as well. Reverend Hutchins, welcome to Politics Done Right. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about the reason that uh, you formed uh, Movement Forward. You know, I've been at the forefront of human and civil rights advocacy for the last 25 years. Since I was a teenager, I was mentored by all of the icons that worked very closely with Martin Luther King Jr., including his wife, Mrs. Coretta Scott King, and Congressman John Lewis, and Jesse Jackson, and Andrew Young, and so many others. So there really is a need for another generation of leadership to emerge in the King tradition of leadership. This idea that somehow we can separate or segregate our morality is what led me to believe uh, that we needed another movement. We needed to take the best of the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, the movement for LGBTQ rights, all of those movements and move them forward into more cooperative space, into a larger context, into a collaborative approach to actually solving problems. It's one thing to raise the issues, but it's another thing entirely to deal with the problems in a solution-focused manner. And that's why we created Movement Forward, to be a modern and inclusive human and civil rights organization that takes the work of the movements in the past and brings them forward. So you are not just, uh, your agenda doesn't only include having uh, police officers do the right thing. It's much more inclusive than that. It is. But the idea, uh, the, the, the subject matter of criminal justice and particularly policing in America is the most pressing human and civil rights issue in our consciousness today. So that is the issue that we are uh, are focused on at this moment in time. What we try to do differently than some of the organizations that have gone before us is we try to deal inclusively and comprehensively, if you will, with the, the human and civil rights or social justice causes uh, that are before us. And that I, I think it's something that we've missed over the last, I guess, 35 years of activism. It's kind of been one issue to another as opposed to actually focusing on a single subject matter and figuring out a solution before you move on to another subject matter. And that's the kind of approach that we take to our activism in this moment. Uh, in a constructively critical manner, give me uh, organizations by name that you think uh, probably require some change of direction in your view. Well, I think we have to, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's tough to call names because I'm a member of these organizations. But right. when you look at organizations like, for example, um, uh, and I, I don't want to call names of organizations, but you know, I, I will. I will give you an organization that is very near and dear to my heart: the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or SCLC. That's an organization that has an enormous history, but it also is an organization that is, um, frankly, um, inhibited by its history. So often we celebrate the successes of our organization's past that we don't bring them forward into more. Uh, inclusive and collaborative spaces. So that's the kind of work that I think has to go on. We're not nearly as segregated as we were when some of these organizations were created. So if you want to deal with social justice, human and civil rights issues in this time where our generations, younger generations are more inclusive, we're more expansive in our thinking, we're more technologically sophisticated, 
the ways in which we do activism and approach social change need to innovate through the changing of, of the mindset of the people that we serve. Understandably, you won't call names, and I think that's a good thing. So let me take, let me call names and ask specific questions to that name. Uh, what's in the ethos right now is Black Lives Matter and the way they do things with the way uh, police have criminalized Black men for just being. And that's my opinion as well. Uh, what would what would you do differently? And don't you think the reality is many of these organizations that are much more confrontational open the doors for the organizations like, let's say, Movement Forward, because people realize that just maybe we need to take a different tact. Yeah, I think there's always been a dual approach to how we deal with social justice. What made Martin Luther King Jr. so successful was the presence of Malcolm X and Stokely exactly. Carmichael and a lot of other folks. Right. That's why I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not critical of what other organizations do, but I will tell you that I don't believe we've ever successfully uh, pass legislation or change public culture when we segregate our morality. And that's why we focus on the work that we focus on I, today. Let me interrupt you a second, Reverend. I don't understand what segregate morality means. Well, what I mean by that is when we say one group of lives matter, uh, we have to be clear that other, it doesn't mean to the disadvantage of other folks. So when we say Black Lives Matter, I think our messaging, the way we approach the subject matter, our tone and tenor has got to suggest that we mean Black Lives Matter, not to say that other lives don't matter, but it's just a fact of the matter that in this environment that we live, Black and Brown people are suffering disproportionately from police-involved tragedies. But I think our messaging has got to be, and I say that because in a historical context, again, I was born 10 years after Dr. King was killed, but I still am a student of that generation. As they were marching in Selma and Montgomery and St. Augustine and so many other places around the South, it wasn't Black lives or Negroes would overcome. It was Black and white together we would overcome. And that's what I mean by segregating a morality. We have to speak in a language that endears those to our, our, our struggle that need to be a part of, of our witness. Let me interject here because I'm of two minds. And I, first of all, let me say that I'm in complete agreement with what you just said. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the way the animal mind portion of our the, the animal portion of our minds work until we are jarred, things don't get done. So whereas you are pragmatic and you want to work together with people or whatever, you don't get much attention. Black Lives Matter goes out there and and really put a whole lot of things in your face. Then you matter because it's like, oh, I see what they're saying. I want to work with you. I mean, I spoke to the to the people, to the actual founder of the Black Lives Matter. And I had the same argument that you had there that why at least didn't you say Black Lives Matter too? Just adding that one word would have said, would, would have prevented the right from making it a racial issue as opposed to a asking issue. And what she said was, we didn't want to further go ahead and say our mattering was in your hands. We just want to know that you to know that we matter. So I'm of two minds between messaging and actually taking command of your own being. So well, I think that's I think that's uh, uh, I think it's it's on par with what you and I have discussed previously. And that is, there's one approach to raising the issue, but there's another approach to solving the problem. Right. And when I talk about the fact that we've done the marching and the protesting, there's nobody. I live in Atlanta. 
uh, birthplace, if you will, of the modern civil rights movement. There's no one in Atlanta who has led more marches, protests, and demonstrations than I have, and certainly no one who has been more successful in holding police officers responsible for killing people. Um, that, that has been my life's work, and I will continue to march. But at some point, we have to transition our marching into actually uh, uh, turning our pain into power, as I say, but really focusing on the solution. So we've done those things. This subject matter is before the consciousness of the American people. Everybody knows that there has to be some changes with regard to our criminal justice system. There have to be some modernizations and we've got to transform some things. But as just as we deal with that subject matter, we also have to deal with the other side of it. And that is in our communities and communities of color, crime and violence has gone through the roof over the last several years. Burglaries are up, murders are up, robberies are up. And so the communities that we seek to serve by reducing officer-involved tragedies are the same communities that are being victimized disproportionately by crime and violence, which is why I suggest now that we've, we've raised the issue, the, the, the American people understand our cry around Black Lives Matter. Now we have to turn that cry into a movement of actual solutions. And that's what we're seeking to do with our work. Great, and that's a perfect uh, uh, segue, uh, Reverend Hutchins. So what are you doing? What's your organization doing? What's the conglomerate of your organizations gonna do to actually make that a reality? I am of the belief, my brother, that as long as we're reduced to yelling and screaming at each other and standing in our individual corners with on only collaborating and coalescing with people that think the way we do, there's very little progress that can be made. I've taken a distinctly different approach and we initiated the largest police community outreach project in American history. If you'd asked me 10 years ago when I was uh, leading marches and putting, pro uh, putting protesters in the street and getting arrested, if I would be at this place, I probably would have disagreed. But at this point, I've grown to the place of maturity where I understand that just my leading protests or marches or being a part of those demonstrations is just not enough. The more it seems as though, the more over the last several years we've continued to march and protest, the more officer-involved tragedies have come. So we put one uh, killer of George Floyd behind bars, and yet we continue to see officer-involved tragedies. That led me to believe that we need to take a different approach. We need to take an approach that really contemplates what the challenges are. These mutual biases, the fears in all directions are what are fueling these officer-involved tragedies. These police officers who are quick to pull the trigger don't really see the humanity in the people that they're policing. That was what killed George Floyd. It was not a violation of policy or procedure because or it was not a, uh, a flawed policy or procedure. The officer that killed George Floyd violated his department's policy and procedure. So what the policy and procedure was inept, what it was is that officer did not see the humanity in George Floyd. And that humanity cannot be taught in an academy. The answers to the challenges we face in this moment will not simply be printed in a policy or procedures manual, nor in a piece of legislation or an executive order. They will be imprinted in the hearts and minds of every law enforcement professional and every local community resident, which is why we have taken this approach. We created, again, 
the largest police community outreach project in American history, National Faith and Blue Weekend, which will occur October 8th through the 11th. We've partnered together with the police chiefs and sheriff's associations across the United States of America, the U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Reverend, I, I want you to announce your event. I, I really do at the end where folks are going to see, but I want to sure. take this one place before. Sure. Um, you, you spoke about something that that's factual. Crime rate in, in, in places of color has increased. Uh, Absolutely. Likewise, it has increased in Appalachia, meaning white area. Yes. There's something that they, they, that they are, that, that's distinctive. And these are in areas of suffering. Uh, in, in the process, you've talked about inclusivity. Uh, in, are you, uh, let's, I remember back earlier on, Jesse Jackson tried something that was fairly successful. And that was to try to bring a lot of folks in Appalachia, a lot with the, with the other, other disadvantaged areas so that it wouldn't look like a disadvantaged color issue, but yeah. a socioeconomic issue. And Absolutely. What I find is not enough leaders are looking at it that way. Let's let's look at uh, the, the the fiasco that's occurring in Congress right now as far as a human infrastructure bill. We want to we want to fix capital, 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 but humanity, no. And humanity is what will solve the problem you're working on. Will Absolutely. solve the problem in Appalachia and all these other places. I wonder. You spoke about being in silos. I wonder people with platforms like yours if those are the areas that will be examined as well, because there are more of us, when I say us, I'm not talking color. Oh, I, I understand clearly. In the, in the condition Absolutely. that United would force a mansion, a cinema, and everybody else to jump on board policies that will make police less necessary and, and, and quite a bit more. Your thoughts on that, then I have a final, a final for you. I cannot agree with you more. This is really a, what we're doing in this moment is really taking a, a page from Reverend Jackson's playbook. I spent my teenage years under his tutelage and mentorage. I would follow him across the country. If we can deal effectively with this bridge building, coalescing, bringing the struggles of our suffering together, then we can raise, if we can do that with criminal justice, we can do it with anything, which is why I take the different approach than some of those activists in Black Lives Matter. Until we build a tent where the suffering of the disabled, the suffering of people in the LGBT community, the suffering of of women and the disadvantages of other people of color, along with Black folks, until we can build that kind of movement, we will continue to see officer-involved tragedies because we have got to create a mass movement in this country to deal with criminal justice reform, to deal with economic reform, to deal with other legislative and policy matters. One of the things that we've done, quite frankly, strategically, with National Faith and Blue Weekend is we didn't just make this about communities of color. We have more white congregations, Asian congregations, um, Jewish and Muslim congregations all across this country that are engaged over the course of this weekend. I just realized if we can build a mass movement to deal with this subject matter by bringing people together, because the hearts and minds of people are focused on the on the subject matter of policing. If we can do it in this subject matter, we can do it in anything. Um, Reverend Hutchins, I always ask this as the last question. What was I not 
uh, correct in asking you? What should I have asked you that I didn't ask you? And please tell us about this uh, event that you're about to have as well. So next weekend, National Faith and Blue Weekend will happen in all 50 states and multiple locations. It is the largest police community collaboration in American history, and it is the first time in our nation's history that all of the national law enforcement organizations are coming together for a single police community outreach project. It really is a historic olive branch. Look, law enforcement leaders across this country recognize that changes are needed. There's some need for reforms. There's a need for uh, standardization of use of force, for example. But the greater need is relational reformation. We've got to cause the law enforcement professionals that police in our communities to get to know the people that they're policing such that bias are decreased and trust is increased. October 8th through the 11th, Faith and Blue Weekend activities will happen all across this country. It is a bridge building approach the mission is to facilitate safer and stronger, more just and unified communities by causing law enforcement and the community to come together, to have these difficult discussions. They have to happen, but they have to happen in safe space. And that's what the faith community allows us to do. I encourage everyone to go to Faith and Blue, faithandblue.org. All the information is there. You can find events that are close to you. Let's be the change that we want to see. And we can't do it if we're simply yelling and screaming at one another. Reverend Markle Hutchins, CEO of Movement Forward. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. It's good to be with you. We spend a Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, sorry for some of the dropouts. Sorry for the echo issues. That is the reason why we're trying to get some, uh, I, I picked out some equipment that I thought could work. My good, my good brothers, my sisters, I should say over here on, on the chat are saying, oh, let's, let's look at that. You think that part, well, I, I like the, the surface book, but you know, like I said, I want, if you, if you think there's a comparable pricing performance ratio from a not for another system that you see, let me see it. Uh, my dear, beautiful Rose. And British MCP actually liked the like the choice, I think. Rose is giving me trouble, but you know, Rose, I love you so much. Tell me what I gotta do. Anyhow, folks, let's get busy about the program. Um, look, uh it is about that time. Please find a way to support us. That's all I'm gonna say. We are in this for the long haul. As you can see, uh personally, I try my utter best to continue to understand that what we have occurring in this country, there is not ever a room to stop. We all have our pains, we all have our issues, but the totality of all the issues that affect us all does just that, affect us all. And every time we have to stop for a personal issue, or whatever, it gives them the very, very few that oppress the very, very most that time to recover the plan to misinform. And that's one of the reasons, as painful as it is for me right now, and my daughter is with me. Um, you know, she she's under the weather right now, and 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 we are gonna we're gonna fit things in a manner that I can take care of her. And we can take care of politics. And, and, and while in D.C., maybe get a chance to, 
talked to a few people in DC that I wouldn't have otherwise spoken to except during Netroots or these other these other programs. But it never stops. It honestly never stops. And when you make a commitment to these things, you make a commitment to these things. You make it just like you make a commitment to your family. This is also my family. Okay. Um, the news media is one of the biggest problems that we have. And you know, I talk about that all of the times. I did a little piece over the weekend and I, I, I want you to take a look at this. And then I'm going to show you some examples after you see this piece. Let's take a look at it and then we'll take it on the other side. This sex reporter comes clean about something we've been talking about over and over and over again. What's so special about what he's saying? Well, you know what? I don't care that it isn't special of what he's saying. I don't care that we've been trying to point this out over and over. I have blogs that I've written at the Daily Coast, at Op-Ed News, and elsewhere that always pointed out that the false equivalencies or he said, she said, or uh, fair and balanced made absolutely no sense that these right-wing people come on TV and they, they actually put their lies into the ethos. And once it's out there into the ethos on a national network or cable network, somehow it has plausibility. Uh, this reporter and this professor hits it on the nail last night on Lawrence. I want you to take a look at this and let's take it on the other side. Donald Trump and his supporters in the Republican Party all over the country have launched a continuing assault on democracy. The news media faces a challenge of how to report that story without appearing to simply be supporting one political party against another. Mark Jacob says the news media has been, quote, unintentionally complicit in the rise of fascism that threatens our democracy. And he includes himself among those who have been complicit. Mark Jacob edited page one stories for the Chicago Tribune, and he describes the challenge facing news media in a series of tweets. Mainstream media have long tried to treat Republicans and Democrats equally. Some, like me, thought that was the way to be fair. In fact, it was the way to be lazy and not have to sort out the facts. Just quote a Democrat and quote a Republican, and you're done. When I edited political stories, I went so far as to count the quotes from Republicans and Democrats thinking an equal number would make us fairer. I didn't think I was helping either party. I thought I was helping the readers. I was wrong. The Republicans have overwhelmed the media with corruption. They've created scandal fatigue, prompting journalists to do something I call ethics norming. That's when something that would have been a huge scandal in the recent past is considered normal now. Some media have turned off their outrage impulse and decided that corruption is normal. What's needed is new framing, not party-oriented, but democracy-oriented, truth-oriented. The media shouldn't elevate liars in the interest of fairness. Yes, media should be fair to the readers, to the facts, but not to the two-party system, to our democracy. Joining us now are Mark Jacob and Jelani Cobb staff writer for The New Yorker. And Mark Jacob, uh, what brought you to the point of going public with your thinking about this challenge now? Well, being out of the news business makes it easier, I must admit. I watch the news every day and you see all the dishonesty and you wonder why it isn't called out so much. I mean, I was in uh, editing stories for four decades. You know, four decades ago, I think there was some similarity in honesty and in corruption with the Democratic and Republican parties. They were close enough to where if you, you know, quoted a Republican, quoted a Democrat, that, you know, added up to somewhat to fairness. But you've seen a dramatic problem, in my opinion, with the Republican Party 
going very dishonest, just lies, 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 corruption, 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 and the Democrats, in my opinion, becoming thing about what they were 30, 40 uh, years ago. And so you have this gigantic imbalance in how these parties are behaving. And in fact, one of the parties isn't really behaving like a party, it's behaving more like a criminal enterprise. And so what does the news media do? The news media, some of them don't do anything. They follow the same patterns they followed for 30, 40 years. That's what I was calling out. Professor Cobb, is there a way to write a new set of rules that will work, or is this a dynamic challenge? I mean, I think there's both. I mean, I think there are some rules and some guidelines that you can follow, you know, the most fundamental of which uh, is to not treat uh, unequal things equally, as Mark said. The part of it that is dynamic, uh, I think, is to, to be mindful of just how quickly our situation has changed, you know, over the course of the past several years. You know, we're actually having, you know, January 6th to recede uh, into the background. You know, so many outrageous things have happened, uh, and we're seeing that people on the, on the right, people in the Republican Party, are talking about January 6th as if the people who stormed the building were the ones who were, who were being wronged. Uh, and so, you know, over the course of time, unless that is called out, unless that is people are adamant you know, about what the facts of this situation actually were, do wind up normalizing something that's exceedingly dangerous. Uh, and uh, I would add, betraying the mission uh, that you know, is entrusted to media and by the Constitution. The thing about like the January 6th uh, Select Committee, uh, I was watching a TV news report, and at the end of it, the reporter, I think in an attempt to be fair, said, well, the Re Republicans say that this uh, committee is uh, just a partisan witch hunt. You know, all right, so that was the Republican view. But in my opinion, that reporter didn't need to say that, because we know it's it's not true. We just know. We know that, that, that the Republicans attempted and succeeded in blocking a bipartisan commission would have been bipartisan, would have been fair. And so they didn't didn't want any kind of investigation. And so for them to now kind of dump on the idea that a select committee has been formed to try to find out why people try to commit an insurrection against our democracy uh, it becomes, I, what I'm saying is that that level of fairness is not fairness. It's actually helping the people who are trying to destroy our democracy. And that last comment by Jacob is the magic. It's what we're talking about. By giving these people a voice for known lies, again, it's not about hearing one side or the other. It's about allowing one side to come in and simply mislead and lie when we all know absolutely that it's a lie, that it creates the issues. But we've been talking about this all times, and the media is well aware of that. The reason that they do not change is they want, they need to have a backstop and I hate to just put it onto some sort of an ideological framework, they need to have a backstop to progressivism because that is ultimately where we're heading. And the only backstop to true progressive values going forward is to have some alternate reality. And that alternate reality, as cancerous, as corrosive as it is, is the right-wing lying machine and the mainstream media is complicit in having them used as the backstop for the plutocracy. Exactly, exactly. Anyhow, we are at that point. We're actually way past our midpoint area. I want to remind all our good people. Egberto Willis, did you get my email? Uh, let me see. Did you send me a new email? Um, I'll, I'll take a look for it. 
course, they normalized rape. Looked what happened. Exactly. Scandal fatigue. Good words, according to Bridge MCP. Welcome aboard. Uh, well, I need to welcome everybody aboard. I don't think I did. So I said, welcome aboard, ABQ. Deb Denny, Bridge MCP, Rose Williams, para ver quién más está aquí. We also have the Dr. Quack, Sarah Beef G. Welcome aboard. Uh, thank you for, for your good, your kind words, Sarah. Uh, let's see what else we, who else we got here. Uh, coming down, coming down the pike. Let's see, por favor. Uh, I saw some other names in there as well. So if I miss you, it's because of my eyes going crossed. Uh, let's see. Um, coming down, coming down, coming down. Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. Uh, Rose, welcome. I think I got you. Uh, let's see. Those books behind you aren't real, are they? No, green screen, my dear lady, green screen. Uh, yep, still here. There you go, AVQ. Now, let's see. <laughs> Bridge is always there, ready to answer the phone. Yes, that is, that is um, green screen. Okay, folks, please. Uh, you see those books that you see scrolling on the screen? You can go ahead and get any one of our books. There, there are several ways to get our books, right? One is to go ahead and go to politicsandright.com slash books, politicsandright.com slash books. The other way is to go directly to our website and get the, the, the books. Of course, um, I will have to sign those, which means it'll be a little later. So for now, I'm going to say get the books online. Uh, if you want, I'll send you a signature card and I'll, you send me your address. I'll also send you the bumper sticker myself directly from my uh, directly from wherever I am. Right now, it's not about PDR. It's Ashley DC Equipment. I so love, I so love Bridge MCP. Thank you, Bridge. Um, books, again, go to politicsandright.com slash books. It'll take you to Amazon to get any one of our books. We also have a combination of all the books if you, if you want. If you get the combination of our books at our site, Linda will send those books out for you along with the bumper sticker. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, you can also contribute to our pro program by becoming a member of the PDR Posse via YouTube. That is politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. And I'm going to put that on the screen as well, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. You can also support us via PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. This is for regular operating expenses of keeping Politics and Right going, as well as you can become a patron. By the way, anybody who joins us at a level of $4.99 a month, they read all our books online free of charge. I just You just sign into EgbertoWillis.com and you have full access to all our books to read online. So that, that is how uh, we, we, we do it. Believe me, these books are better than the green screen. I, oh, I love Rose. Rose. Muchas gracias, corazón. Muchas gracias. All right. So, so please consider uh, doing that. Uh, and the, the big thing right now, though, is I need to get that computer. I really would like to get it. Uh, I would like to raise enough that I know I'm going to get there this week so that I can probably get it ordered, let's say, on Thursday or Friday so that I can work on it over the weekend so I can come with you with better equipment on, on when again? On next Monday. So let me go ahead and give you the GoFundMe again. I would love your support. Remember... This is investing in what we do. This is, this is your show. This is your program. And you've seen in every manner that I operate with this program, it's always about those of you who are watching. And the truth of the matter is whether you support it or not, that you're here. 
Because there are many ways to support. You can support financially. You can support by sharing. You can support by making people aware. We do need the financials. We do need that. But I want every single person to realize you have a stake in this particular progressive program. That you know you can go to a lot of different programs and you're just a number. And I don't care how big we grow. If we get to 10,000 paid members, everybody will have a niche on politics and rights. And there are ways to do it. I, I will do that. Read my email reply. I will do that definitely. Uh, let's see. Thanks for taking your precious time and doing a show today. Positive energy for Asha. Thank you, Breach. I appreciate that. Read my email reply. I will read your email reply, Bridge. I promise you to do it. I can't do it right now. I don't have enough equipment to do it right now, but at the same time that I'm doing the show, but I will. Uh, so folks, please, in however you can, uh, please support. All right. If you also on YouTube, please go ahead and give us that thumbs up. We'd love to have your support with that thumbs up as well, right? Okay. I have another video. This is a good one because... In the last video, you saw a former reporter, notice the word, former. A former reporter comes and says, yeah, we did it right. We gave plausible deniability to the Republicans. What we did is we said, he said, she said. We said uh, that there were true equivalences as opposed to false equivalences. I wrote stories at Daily Coast. I wrote stories at Op-Ed News where we pointed out that the danger that we have today is to somehow create these false equivalences and somehow now November 6th is equivalent to the, pro the Black Lives Matter protest for George Floyd. Again, let's look. False equivalence. A lot of people in the streets for George Floyd. A lot of people on the mall for January 6th. January 6th, the overthrow of the United States government in the streets asking for Equal access for everyone. Equal access under law. Equal access under justice. And everything under law. But false equivalence. Riot, riot. And that is where our media is not only lazy or derelict in its duty. But it's also a clear and present danger because it allows these things to happen. And how do we change that? This is how we change it. Hello. Hello. We are doing it. You are doing it. Because as you watch this, as you share this, as other people hear this, they say, ah, I don't only have to listen to that. I have my own mind. I know, what I'm, I, I know what's going on. You know, and you lead the pack. You lead the pack. Remember, they're paid. Anyhow, let me show you what that does. I want to show you another video. Which one is this? It's not the... Uh, I, I want to show you the delusion. We're talking about the tax issues, right? We're talking about the um, the infrastructure bills. Check out this characterization, and then we'll take it on the other side. David Drucker from Vanity Fair and the Washington Examiner thinks he knows everything. He's so he's, he, he believes that Joe Manchin is going to save the Democratic Party from the from the progressive excesses. I want you to listen to this, and then let's take it on the other side to take his points. Point by point. One of 
bring in David Drucker now. David's the senior political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. He's also a contributing writer for Vanity Fair's The Hive. Uh, Mr. Drucker, the Wall Street Journal editorial board, coming to Manchin's defense just a bit with this headline, Joe Manchin's intervention. And it reads in part, quote, Democrats... Democrats may be angry, but as the days go by, they may recognize that Mr. Manchin is doing them a favor. With President Biden abdicating to the left, the West Virginian is providing a reality check on progressive excess. The paper suggests that actually passing the reconciliation bill could very well cost Democrats Congress next year. What do you think? Well, look, I think that Democrats are trying to pass a bill that the voters did not deliver them a mandate to pass. When you look at the majorities that voters gave the Democratic Party, they have a five-seat majority in the House, which is why Speaker Pelosi, who is really a masterful legislative tactician, is having such a devil of a time bringing her caucus together because the centrists and the liberals can bring everything to a halt because that's how slim her majority is. And in the U.S. Senate, Democrats don't really have a majority. They have the tiebreaker, which gives them control of the floor. But as we have seen, just one senator defects, and they can't do what they want. And when you're trying to pass 303, I was going to mess up the number there, 3.5 trillion on top of one and a half trillion on top of the COVID relief bill for many more trillion, uh, eventually somebody's going to say stop. Now it may be surprising to people to watch a U.S. senator not stick with his team and literally say, I don't care how much you pressure me, I don't care what you say about it, you're not getting my vote, but that's what we're seeing in this case. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing it from Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema is because they don't have anything or not much to fear from their voters back home. In other words, in, in West Virginia, a very red state, um, nobody's going to complain that Joe Manchin is blocking the level of spending that, that this bill would be as is. And things are a little bit different for Kirsten Cinema in that there is a left wing and a Democratic base in that state. But she still is in a good place with independence, and she's not doing too bad with Republicans right now. Let's first be clear. There was a mandate, okay? Uh, there was... Uh, Biden got over 8 million votes more so than did Trump. But let's even get a little bit better than that. The Congress and the Senate do not represent America. It is essential that we understand that. First of all, the amount of Congress people we have came from gerrymandered districts. And in having gerrymandered districts, that means there is a biased proportion of people that are there in Congress representing Republicans, but they have less Republican support in the community at large. In other words, gerrymandered districts give you disproportionate representation. So therefore, the Congress should be a lot more Democrats in there if we had a true democracy. Likewise for the Senate. There are a lot more people represented by Democratic senators than there are by Republican senators. So when he says the Senate is 50-50 and the House is almost 50-50, that is not true at all. The reality is, yes, represented by representation, that is true, but by people, that's not true. Then he says that they're doing a favor because uh, the, the, the American people don't want these liberal policies. Not true. If you take a poll, more than 60% and above Americans... This, these are the policies that they want. This is what they're asking for. The Build Back Better bills 
are what America wants, and they want it by an inordinate amount of percentage points. So what he's saying is simply likewise a lie. The, the thing that they have to do, the, the two states that, they, that, that are given troubles, West Virginia, a dependent state, and Arizona, a dependent state. These two states need more funding from the government than just about anybody else, right? And check this out. And these are the senators that, that are not allowing the funds to go to these states that are going to help the people of those states. So the, the, in effect, if there's some blame to go around, I would say Democrats need to do a better job of selling because West Virginia should not be a solid red state where the policies that their representatives put out there really hurt them. And the same applies to Arizona, which isn't a red state, which isn't a, a, a red state, but again, has a strong, uh, a, a, a strong uh, influence on the, on the whole. So altogether, what he's saying made absolutely no sense and he should be called out for it and let's let's let the media do a better job of not letting silly stories like these get more traction or believability than they deserve i ran out of time for the build back better video to show how the media does what the media does they do they say uh, oh they're not talking about all the issues they're just talking technicalities and then when you listen to Democrats, you see they're talking about feeding, mama feeding, granny taking care of, uh, take, making sure people can go to school. I, I want you to hear uh, how they talk about it, but we'll talk about that tomorrow because we only have about three minutes left. And I want to take this three minutes, first of all, to thank you all for being here. For those of you that are listening on YouTube right now or on Twitch or whatever, please give me that thumbs up on, on YouTube. Please give me that thumbs up on, on Twitch. And when Facebook comes back up, and be, believe me, Facebook will be back up. You know, they got to make their money. So we'll make sure that this is on Facebook as well. We'll probably run this since, since Facebook is down. Uh, when Facebook comes back up, we're likely to run this as a live event on Facebook. So you'll probably see that when Facebook comes back online, you'll probably see that that occurs. But anyway, folks, I'm going to do one last plug since I'm here in... Uh, yes, I'm having a show tomorrow. My, my wife is here to spend the time with Ashley all week. And then she'll be back uh, back in Houston. Uh, my work, my wife is a very hard worker. Uh, she, she, she really supports what we're doing here. So it is, again, it's, it, uh, taking care of Ashley right now is, is going to be a real team effort. And we intend to be right there for both of us, for our daughter, to make sure that she makes a full recovery, whatever that full recovery looks like. I told her yesterday, always think about what we're going to do with the rest of life. In other words, we don't sit back and in sorrow. We don't sit back and say, I wish, what if? We sit back and say what is and what can we do to solve what is. And that's what we're doing here. All of you here. All of you here. That is that is the intent for us to be each other's posse, each other's backbone, each other's spine. To go out there and understand that uh, we can have much more control of our destiny than we can. I couldn't control 
a leaky AVM in my daughter's brain. But that leaky AVM has not killed her. That leaky AVM has still left me with that beautiful daughter, with that person, with that, that one that is there to give so much more to society. And I'm going to make sure that she realizes, and all of us realize, that we all, we all play a part in making a better world. And the intent of the plutocracy, the intent of the oligarchy, the intent of the people in power is to make you believe, make all of us believe that we are insignificant and have to be at the whims of a few. And when we learn that we can assert our power, assert our worth, even as times are difficult. That is how we build that ramp to progress, that ramp to winning. So um, the goal here, folks, what you do for others, you do for yourself. Love that. Love that, Bridge. Absolutely so. Rose Williams says, Cinema is behaving in a completely disrespectful manner towards her constituents. She is. British MCP says, West Virginia people are not happy. Why doesn't media go there? That's the point, Bridge. Again, who controls it, right? But anyhow, I got to get out of here. I want to ask two last favors. Please do remember, I need two, two bits of support from you. The first support is to please help us. This is going to be my home for the foreseeable future as I get my daughter back in stride. So please support the GoFundMe for our new uh, studio, the new mini studio. It's a mini studio. And that's the GoFundMe link for it. And please support our program in general. And all the different forms of support can be found at politicsdoneright.com support. So I have that all in the link. Thank you so kindly for having been a part of Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. You all know I love you all. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel. And number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.